Well, on behalf of the entire Bell Shoals family, we wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for being with us today. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Bell Shoals. And uh, this is without a doubt my family's favorite time of the year. Uh, my wife and I have two sons and two weddings. <laughs> and so uh, we have a total of four children. And probably our favorite Christmas memory happened about 13, 14 years ago when uh, our four children were all under the age of 10. My oldest was around eight and my youngest was somewhere around three. And then we had two in the middle somehow. And um, we were all at our church's Christmas Eve service. And uh, the, the way we did it at the time was we had like the real candles for the end of the service where you sing Silent Night, because that's in the Bible, you have to sing Silent Night to close out Christmas Eve. And, and so we've got our four kids. And to be honest with you, when you take four children under the age of 10 anywhere, it's just hurting cats. And you're doing your very, very best just to kind of endure. Anybody with me like today, right now? And you're like, why don't you all have childcare today? And uh, okay, so I've been there. My wife and I have been there. And so Christmas Eve, here we are, and of course, uh, my family's down on the front row, and, and we get to the end of the service, and we're herding the cats, and we, like, we're like, okay, we got like five more minutes, right? Just five more minutes, let's get to silent night. And we, we make it to the very end of the service. And we had prepped our children, because of course, all of them wanted to hold their own candle, because they are demon-possessed, okay, if you don't know them. At least they were at the time. And so like, you know, all of my kids, I want my own candle. Well, you can't handle fire. Yes, I can! You know, so, all right. So all of them got their own candle. And so I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, sitting here and then I've got my oldest son here and one of my other kids here. And my wife is next to my oldest son and she's holding our youngest on her lap. And she's like, no, <laughs> you have four demons possessing you. So uh, <laughs> mama is gonna help you with your candle, right? He was three. Okay, so we're all here. We, get, we make it through the service somehow and we get to the candle lighting. And when you sit in the front row at a candle lighting, it's the worst seat because you have to wait for the fire to disperse all the way to the back. And so I had threatened my, ch I mean, I had uh, prepped my children, right? When you, when you have your candle, you just, you hold it and you look at it and you do not move. If the heavens fall and the earth shakes, you do not move. And my oldest son, who was in between my wife and I, like he, he's a rule follower, you know? And so when, when dad told him, you get that, candle and you don't move, buddy, he was not moving. And so he was sitting there, you know, holding his candle. And of course, my four-time demon-possessed youngest son, who's three, decides after his candle is lit that he is able to hold it without my wife's help. And there ensues a tussle. And we're like, can we not just make it literally three more minutes, okay? And the answer my youngest son gave was no, you cannot. And so I reach over to help corral him so that we don't throw hot wax all over everybody else. And I lean over and I get him corralled 
and, you know, I threaten him a little more. <laughs> you know how this works, right, mom and dad? Okay, so I'm like, come on, buddy, you can come on. No, just let mom help you, and I'm, I reach over, and then I come back over, and I'm like, okay, two and a half more minutes, and all of a sudden, this is 100% true. I am not making this up. The lady sitting behind us leaned forward in between my wife and I and said to my wife these exact words, um, ma'am, your husband is on fire. I am not making this up. And my wife looks and like, I was on fire, okay? And I look and the, I had a sweater on. The entire back of my sweater is engulfed in a flame. And all the people behind us are not helping, they are laughing. And I know they teach you stop, drop, and roll in school, but I panicked. I didn't know what to say. We're like, you know, patting, and my wife's patting, and the people behind me are just, ha, 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 you know. So I'm trying to, and then my son in the middle is sitting there. <laughs> and what happened is, true story, when I leaned over to help with my youngest son, my oldest son, who didn't and doesn't have a brain that functions, did not think to move the candle away from dad. He lit me up, baby. Because dad said, do not move the candle. And he did not move the candle. And dad got on fire. Now, how did dad get on fire? Because I have three women in my house. And when all of them are under 10 with the kids, we all get ready in the same bathroom. We're trying to corral them. And at the time, I don't know why, my wife used, with my girls at least, a lot of aerosol hairspray. And I think it was all over all of us. <laughs> and when that fire hit that aerosol, I think that's what it was. And um, Merry Christmas. I don't even remember what happened after that. We just, we got the fire extinguished and then I'm supposed to get up and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Uh, you know, I don't even know what happened after that. And then um, a year later, my family came in to our Christmas Eve services and somebody put a fire extinguisher in my seat. <laughs> just in case you know how loved and appreciated we are. And that, without a doubt, is one of our favorite Christmas memories. In fact, now that our kids are older, we miss those days when they set us on fire. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in life where things did not go according to plan. <laughs> I've had a lot of those situations in life. Uh, if you're not yet a parent, buckle up. You're gonna have a lot of that did not go according to plan moments. And there are those fun kind of moments and then there are more serious kind of moments when it's like, hold up. Um, wow, this is really, really difficult, right? Like, I wish I were on fire. <laughs> Somehow that seems easier than what I'm going through now. So if you've lived life at all, you understand that there are moments and seasons when life just doesn't go according to plan. And it can be very, very difficult. Um, and I mention all that today on this very special day because Christmas 
is God's solution to our lives not going according to plan. Because Christmas is a celebration of God sending his son to us, wrapped in human flesh. God living as a human being, fully God, fully man, living a life that we live, right? Like experiencing trial and temptation as we experience them. Understanding what it means to be betrayed. Understanding what it means to be let down. Understanding what it means to be disappointed, right? Like so, so Christmas really is God's solution to our lives not going according to plan. And instead of God just letting us linger in our mess, in his grace and mercy, he chose to do something about it. Aren't you glad for that? He did, something, he did something about it. And he meets us in our mess, and he meets us when things don't go according to plan, and he offers us, through his grace and mercy, a hope and a salvation that endures so that even when things don't go according to plan in this life, we can have the hope that in the life to come, we will be exactly where we need to be and we will be exactly who we need to be because of the grace of God made available to all of us in Jesus. And I just wanna show you really quick just one example of this in the ministry of Jesus. It, it happens in John's biography of Jesus with this um, particular person who, can I just summarize her life, okay? It had not gone according to plan. Like her life was a mess. And when I say her life was a mess, I mean, I'm talking, she had no status, she had uh, no identity, and she, she had really made a mess of her life. And I'm talking profound dysfunction, I'm talking profound shame, profound embarrassment. She was an outcast in her society. And, and it, it, it just so happens on one particular day that Jesus makes a point to meet her. Here's what happened. John's biography captures this moment for us. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, actually, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans hated Jews. So Jesus could have gone around Samaria, which is the way most Jews traveled. He didn't have to go through Samaria, but on this particular day, he did. Do you know why? Because he had to meet this particular person. And so eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Maybe you've heard of Jacob's well. And, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Again, notice the specificity here. If you're new to the Bible, this is not myth or fable. This is all based on eyewitness testimony. Right there about noontime, Jesus is there. And notice, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, would you also please give me a drink since you're drawing from the well? He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the local village to get some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's how we know this didn't happen on Sunday. Are you with me? Okay, all right. So Jesus is there because he had to be there. He didn't actually have to be there. He wanted to be there because he wanted to communicate something to this woman and to us. And so the woman notices shock. She's surprised because Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she's like, wait a minute, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and yet you're asking me for a drink. And I'm gonna fast forward here, but in the, in the gap, Jesus is basically like, hey, actually, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you living water. Because your deepest need, this is kind of what Jesus communicates, 
is not physical, it's spiritual. And they have this exchange, and she's trying to figure it out, and, and Jesus says, well, I'll tell you what, look, verse 16 here, he says, I'll tell you what, go and get your husband, and then, and then we'll continue. And um, the woman says to Jesus, well, sir, I don't, I don't have a husband, which is nowhere near the full story here. And Jesus said, yeah, that's true. You don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five husbands and uh, you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You've certainly spoken the truth. <laughs> this is like first century Liz Taylor type of stuff going on right here, okay? Um, listen, I, I just want you to know, this is the simplest way I can say it. Her life had not gone according to plan. Man, she carried a lot of dysfunction with her, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of identity issues. I mean, you name it. Man, her life was a tragedy. And um, she says to Jesus, well, sir, you must be a prophet. How in the world could you know all of this about me? And you know what? She was right. Jesus was a prophet. And he also played the role of a priest and a king. And he... Ultimately, he's demonstrating here he's more than a man. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. And he came to do something for her and for all of us that is profound. You see, because Jesus meets with her, meets her where she is in the middle of her mess when things had not gone anywhere close according to plan. And he, and he, he offers her grace and mercy, living water, a way for her sin to be forgiven, for her to have the hope of eternal life. And I just want you to understand how radical this is that God loves us this much because, because a Jew would never talk to a Samaritan, but yet here is Jesus, the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world, meeting a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well and not just any Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman whose life had not gone according to plan, and Jesus isn't afraid to meet with her. He's not ashamed to meet with her. In fact, he came to earth to meet with people just like her and to communicate to her the radical love and grace of God. And she gives her life to Christ. We know this later as we, as we you know, read the rest of the story and, and she becomes a follower of Jesus and she trusts him for her salvation. And from that moment on, let me just give you a really good word here, okay? This is a little Christmas encouragement today. Her dysfunction didn't define her. And I just want you to know today, if you'll put your faith in Jesus, your hope in Jesus, your trust in Jesus, your dysfunction won't define you either. See, from that day forward, she was no longer defined by her dysfunction and her five failed marriages and her failed identity and the shame and the guilt. She was defined by the fact that she was a child of God, that she was a daughter of the king. That's what defined her. And that's, if you read on, what her community came to know her as, a woman radically changed by Jesus. And listen, I don't know what you carried in the room with you today. Hopefully not fire. <laughs> but maybe you're carrying a terminal illness or a failed marriage or a rebellious child or a financial burden or a job crisis a depressed state of mind 
I don't know what you carried in the room with you today, but I have some good news for you. This is the message of Christmas. God loves you so much that he sent his son to save you, to free you, and to form a new identity in you, even in the middle of your mess. And if you'll look to Jesus today for your salvation, your dysfunction will no longer define you. God's not afraid of your dysfunction. He came to meet you in the middle of it. God's not afraid of your imperfections. He came to save you by giving you a perfect savior in your place. And Christmas is all about, aren't you thankful for this, God meeting us in the middle of our mess. When life doesn't go according to plan. So that our dysfunction doesn't define us and we have the hope of eternal life. And I, listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, I, listen, that's why we're here. I, I, I just pray that today or tomorrow, like, you would pause, you would, you would turn to Jesus, you would ask for his forgiveness, you would acknowledge your dysfunction, and you would acknowledge your need for a Savior, and you would receive him. You would follow him. You would live for him. And I promise you, if you'll give your life to Jesus, he will save you. He will change you. He will give you a new identity. And from this day forward, your dysfunction will no longer define you. And that's the hope of Christmas. When things don't go according to plan, we have a Savior who meets us where we are. And our Savior is, he is God wrapped in human flesh. Not just an ordinary man or teacher or leader, he is God. And that's John's emphasis for us in his biography. And um, that's why the words were written years ago to my favorite Christmas song, O Holy Night. Truly, he's taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. And then building to the chorus in that second verse, my favorite verse, the author penned these words, Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever. I love this part. His power and glory evermore proclaim. We have a God who is power, a God who is glory, a God who can do all things, has done all that is necessary to save us, forgive us, free us, and to bring us into a right relationship with himself. And so today we do not worship a savior who is weak or needy. We worship a savior who possesses all power and glory. And forever his name and his salvation we will proclaim. For Christ is the Lord. <laughs> Amen. He is the Lord.